When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can the Grizzlies battle back and make this a series against the Spurs? Should the Cavs be worried about their chances to get out of the East? Is this the series John Wall puts his stamp on the NBA? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to bring on the show, uh, I would say, I guess, longtime friend of the program, Mike Yam, who is a host on the Pac-12 Network, also runs the Give Me a Sense podcast, and is working on NBA content for TuneIn. So, Mike, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I feel like this is way overdue. I, I think you and I started corresponding in the early days of Twitter back in the day, and this was when I was still working at ESPN at the time. So it is, it's great to be on the show and obviously catching everything that you're doing. So uh, flattered that you even asked me to come on. Hey, my, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, it, we, it goes way back. It's funny how those things start you know, early and uh, how Twitter has done that. So uh, it's always been great being able to see what you're doing and, and, and great to have you on the left coast at the very least. Not quite L.A., but close enough. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll 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 take it. In San Francisco, there's no snow, so I will take that over that Northeast. I'm actually heading to the Northeast um, in, in this week, so I just I'm glad I'm missing all like the winter chaos. I, I just I got soft on the West Coast, man. I can't handle that cold weather. Anymore. Oh, I I got soft. I'm from Chicago. I got soft within like a month. <laughs> yeah, it so. doesn't take. It it goes pretty quick for yeah. sure. Well, let's let's jump right in here for the uh, for the NBA stuff because we certainly had uh, some headlines uh, with the Memphis San Antonio series and Dave Fisdale uh, at the end of that game uh, or in the press conference, kind of going off. Um, what were your thoughts? Did you see what he said? Yeah, no, I saw the comments. I was watching. Uh, we were actually doing our show. I was working with Corey McGetty at the time when uh-huh. I saw the comments. So I, I had it on on my TV monitor. So the the DVR thing was was certainly huge. I. I I, at some point, I, I sort of understand. You can see the the frustration. I think it actually circled back, and I don't know if you saw that um, specific possession where Mike Conley, I think it was in the first half, maybe second quarter, midway through, where it, it looked like Conley, and I, I think Reggie Miller was on the call at the time, and Reggie's like, oh, you know, it kind of looks like a foul. And I, I saw it. I actually didn't think there was a ton of contact on that specific play, but I, I certainly understand where he's coming from, where he wants his guys to have as much respect as some of the players from San Antonio. And I think you're always feeling like you're you're climbing this uphill battle when you know from a talent perspective, from a team perspective, you're going up against an opponent that there's a reason why they got 60-plus wins on the year, that they're a two-seed in the Western Conference and a real contender to win an NBA title this year. So you, you're looking for every advantage that you can get. And when you feel like you're not getting uh, – some of those calls that I can't even imagine what it's like for him on the sidelines. Oh, I know. And, you know, it's funny because I went through the entire game play by play and looking for whatever I could find as evidence of a bad call or a missed call or, you know, uh, anything like that. And you know what? It ended up kind of being a little bit even, believe it or not. There were moments when the Grizzlies benefited and I, nothing that out of the ordinary sort of on the road in a playoff game that you wouldn't expect. 
So I thought it was a little bit strange. I mean, there's a couple things there, but you know, sometimes you know they play good defense, and they they are they are one of the least fouling teams in the league, and they have been for years. And you know, they they go up for shots in the lane. It doesn't always mean that there's going to be a foul. Yeah, you know, Nick. Here's the other thing: you can point to fouls. I think when you get to that stage of being vocal you're you're reaching i i think the grizzlies should look at themselves in the mirror and look at that game one in a scoring drought late uh in that second half and and the fact that they weren't able to score some points or i should say um in that third quarter leading into the fourth quarter and then even last night the start that they had in the first quarter i mean that's that's you put yourself in a hole in that half like they did you're not supposed to come back and i give them credit they fought back what was it, like a 22 point lead or whatever it was yeah. 26 point lead i think yeah. it was in that second half i mean that for them to even make it a game i'll tip my cap and say hey kudos to you but you can't expect to essentially go on the road spot a team like san antonio 26 <laughs> points and expect to win a game like that it's just not going to happen it's not realistic and it's more than just fouls and not getting calls to go your way because there's there weren't enough to your point there weren't enough where you said oh my god this is changing the complete dynamic of the game right and you know once you're down by like nine or ten with three or four minutes to go it really isn't going to matter you're not going to beat the spurs uh with a with a deficit like that at you know in san antonio no matter what so i felt like you know, the last few minutes at least sort of were, uh, you know, just an experiment in like how to get the game over without, you know, too much incident because, uh, you know, this wasn't going to happen. That said, I do want to, you know, point out that the Memphis Grizzlies play defense as tough as any team I've ever seen. I mean, we're even talking about like the Pistons back in the day. This is some really good hard-nosed defense we're watching. I, I totally agree with you. You know, the one moment in the game where I thought it was sort of awesome was to see an, a Vince Carter who essentially is collecting an NBA paycheck and Social Security right now mm-hmm. sort of get in the grill of of Kyle Anderson. To me, <laughs> that was just kind of cool to see. I mean, Anderson, they had they did like those slow-mo replays of him running down the floor, kind of jogging, looking back on, is this actually happening right now? <laughs> it was comical to me, especially, you know, working for the Pac-12 network and, and seeing Anderson play when he was at UCLA and sort of knowing his demeanor to me you're right though i i I think they are as physical a team i wish tony allen was out there i don't think they win the series with tony but i do think it is a um it's a different series and and not to say that Kawhi leonard wouldn't go off the way he is uh who by the way he would be my pick for mvp this year which i think might upset some people in oklahoma city or or even houston Mm -hmm. uh to me to have a guy at that caliber not in your lineup I, i think is a real detriment to what they want to do yeah, I mean, and don't forget, I mean, he does pose issues for them on the other side of the ball, too, where you can ignore sure. him. But uh, there's no question that it would change the series and uh, it would be even more interesting. But that said, I, I have a feeling that Memphis is going to come out really tough with the home crowd behind them. They're probably going to get that game three. I have a feeling that that's the one game they're probably going to be able to seize on. Maybe Mike Conley goes off a little bit. and um, and then. But I, it seems to me that that might be their one last little pulse before the, uh, the Spurs step on them. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that typically is general. I, I don't know what the stats would, would tell people, but by and large, it always feels like when you lose those first two games on the road, you typically get game three. There's a reason why you're on the road for the opening two games. Usually the team you're playing is a better basketball team than you are. They figure out a way to win game four, and then the series and the dynamics just completely change. You get into desperation mode, and very rarely is there really much of a series even after that. That's why I think that, that split, if you can get it and it comes in game number one, I think that's a huge advantage. 
change. And and I think after the, you know the first 48 hours of NBA playoff basketball, we saw some of those surprises. Whether it's the Jazz, to me, who were the biggest surprise due to the fact that they not only did they win their game, which wasn't surprising. The, the surprising part for me was doing it without Rudy Gobert. Um, I, I think Boston and obviously what you saw in that game, number one, there, there's a lot of different dynamics and, and even Toronto losing in their opener. So there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. But but you're right. I think Memphis gets game three. Yeah. Well, you know, let's move on to the next series that we have on the list here, which would be the the Wizards and the Hawks. And uh, yeah. this I don't know. Was this was this a surprising thing that, you know, the Wizards ended up winning 114-107 in home? You know, the only thing that was just from watching the game, the only thing that surprised me was the margin of, of victory because it didn't feel like a game that was played even that close to just seven points. I, I actually really, really like and, and Nick, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I'm a big Washington fan this year and and i actually had them as a team that would take out cleveland i i know everyone you know it's funny you mentioned the, the two stuff that i do for tune in and it's Corey mcgetty karam butler antoine walker will purdue you get all these guys that come on and that i work with and they everyone for the most part rex chapman another guy they all lean towards cleveland and we can have these conversations about what the Cavs do and their deficiency specifically on the defensive end and i know for you who's got a great eye for the analytics and what's actually happening on the floor you can point to a lot of issues that they have defensively and i don't know a team I don't think I could ever name a team that was as bad as what we've seen from Cleveland these last few months and say, yeah, they're going to get back to the finals. And it, right. it everyone goes through all the all the issues and then they just go, well, they got LeBron. And I get that. <laughs> and it's hard to argue that. But I still look at what Washington has in terms of that starting lineup. And to me, and I'm not saying John Wall is LeBron James, um, but I do think John Wall deserves to be in that conversation of in the short list of elite players. And I, I would say the elite player list is probably, you know, five to six, maybe seven at the most deep. And it's probably more like five or six guys. I think John Wall's in that conversation. And I look at that backcourt with Wall and Beal. I, I think they can make some noise and do some damage. So to me, that's there's a lot of reasons why I like Washington. I actually um, – the way – from what I saw from Atlanta and what we saw in that first game – they made the run really with that second unit with from Washington out on the floor, and that's been their Achilles heel for most of the season. That's that's not breaking news to anyone. Uh, but for me, Washington is a team that that I really think could could surprise some folks. Yeah, and you, you have to imagine they're going. I mean, they're already shortening the rotations, and these guys are going to play you know pretty close to forty minutes in the in a night, yeah. so that the bench won't kill them as much as it, it has. And then Ubre is is a guy who can still make plays. So they have some guy that can be productive, and you never know. I have to imagine somebody out of that Jennings Bogdanovich, you know, uh, or, or you know, uh, out of there should give them something. One just need games. one guy, yeah. one guy to give you just a little bit. Um, off that bench, but to me, I don't. Do you like Washington? You you think that they can beat Cleveland, or am I on an island? Obviously? No, no, I, no. I'm on that island. I've been saying that. We've been saying that for months now. Uh, we pointed out the issues with the Cavaliers' defense, which we can get into when we talk about their series. But certainly, uh, you know, you need to have a guy who is in that elite category, like you described. If you're going to beat the Cavs, you got to have a guy who get, gets the respect from the referees, who can generate fouls, get to the free throw line. Uh, I mean, and John Wall, when he's engaged on the defensive end too, like to, I cannot wait to watch him go up against Kyrie. That's going to be oh, yeah. an incredible uh, matchup. But that said, there's no way Kyrie can guard him. No way. And they're not going to probably guard him that way. But then Beal is going to be able to go off because I, you know, we've been watching J.R. Smith. Their their backcourt defense is a dumpster fire, 
And, um, you know, that's why we're going to see, like, if we could get somehow Portland to play <laughs> to play Cleveland, too, you'd see, like, <laughs> crazy numbers from Lillard and, and McCollum, too, so or even Golden State. So that's the that's the, the Cavaliers' burden. And, I, yeah, I don't see how anybody could say, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. They're going to get to the finals. I mean, you're talking about the Raptors are still out there uh, if they make it. And, um, you know, that's another series. And then, you know, the Celtics, I don't think they're going to offer as much. But certainly uh, the, the, the Wizards are the team that I would pick to uh, to knock them off. Who, who do you like better in, in the – if I said to you, you're gonna, you can get Kyrie or John Wall, which guy are you taking for your team? Oh, wow. I, I would probably end up doing John Wall because I'd get, you know, pretty close to what you get on offense. But Kyrie can just shoot it a lot better. But then you get the defense. And so um, – and the and assists, by the way, the playmaking. Because Kyrie just doesn't do that. Now, maybe yeah. in a different situation without being on the team with LeBron, he would get more assists. But I don't see Kyrie ever being that guy that would get nine, ten assists a game anyway. So I would take John Wall every time. I'm totally with you. And I, it just – it's fascinating to me the amount of respect that Kyrie gets. And I'm not saying he's not deserving of it. I mean, uh, on the perimeter, it, he's he's the last guy, that, one of the last guys in the league that I would want to see. I mean, just his quickness, his ability to, mm-hmm. to sort of break down a defender is is as good as anyone um, that we've seen. The, the problem is from a, pers- from a uh, just the narrative and the fact that he is a guy that plays with LeBron, that's won an NBA title, we saw it last year, and really a huge key to the Cavs' success I think you just get bonus points for that. And yet John Wall, in in a lot of ways, is, I think, the better guard. Um, and I, it just it's always fascinating to me that people always look to Kyrie, and, and I don't think John Wall gets nearly enough respect for what he's able to do. Because we always talk about speed. I, John Wall with the basketball, I don't know if there's a guy faster than he is in the league. I mean, yeah. he's, the dude's ridiculous. Yeah, and that's funny. I got to interview him a few weeks ago, and I asked him about it. And I, you know, he just sort of natural, God-given speed in a way that I was like, you know, no one taught you how to run or anything like that. He goes, no, I just, just did it. So, uh, and, he, and this is it. This is his coming out party. This is going to be the time where he's really going to show it. And if he's going to get into that conversation nationally, yeah. it's going to have to be uh, a dominating series against the Cavs, and probably. I mean, if they don't beat him, it's going to have to like get within an inch of their lives to like to get him on that stage. But I, I have no doubt that that will happen either way, win or lose. And um, and then we're going to finally, you know, get that John Wall conversation going, where he's going to be the the, the you know the best, maybe one of the best the best point guard in the league. Yeah, that's actually the that's a really good point because he is. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder, but you can't get that respect if you don't get those wins. And I think for some players on certain teams, you have to do just a little bit more than a guy that's equivalent for you in terms of talent just because he's on a winning basketball team. And and obviously that means something or just whatever the perception is. And I think the perception is one thing for Kyrie and it's not that for John Wall. So he's got to go out there uh, and prove it. It, it, It's I saw him play, Nick, in college. It was a UConn-Kentucky game uh, at Madison Square Garden. It was the best individual performance I've ever seen from a college kid. I, I watched the dude, and he was everywhere. And it wasn't just scoring. The pace at which he plays, the steals, uh, just what he was able to do on the floor, I, I still remember back to that matchup, and I couldn't say enough good things. I'm glad he's having success right now in the NBA. 
Absolutely. And it's, it's about time. I mean, it took him a little while. He w- wasn't quite, you know, a, a, a polished player coming out of Kentucky, uh, yeah. which is, you know, par for the course with one and dones. And, you know, I, I wouldn't know if Calipari is doing the most coaching of anybody in the college ranks. But uh, he certainly has figured it out, and it's been really great. So, well, you know, should we move on to the OKC? Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. Let's let's talk about the OKC Houston uh, series because you know it's poetic and it's it's uh, dramatic, uh, but not necessarily uh, uh, close <laughs> the way it's been going so far. To me, all right. Let me ask you this: Are you a Russ guy or a Harden guy? <laughs> Everyone's laughing. Uh, I am not a Russ guy. You're not a Russ guy. Okay. Um, so you lean hard. Because I, like I said, I started this conversation by saying Kawhi Leonard would be my MVP. I'm assuming you're not that going that far, though. You're still up. No, I mean, we'll, we'll put it this way very quickly. I did a, I'm doing a series, a three-part series, of why X player is the MVP of the NBA. And the first guy was Kawhi, and it was a nice okay. video. We, he's a lead in all the offensive categories, and he's a lead defender. Well, I did the second one, why Russell Westbrook is the MVP. And by the way, I think he's going to win it. I'm not, I'm not I like totally I agree with you. But he's yeah. going to win it. But uh, you know, he he he's he's got a lot of um, very low rankings in in the, in the more um, in the categories he uses most, like on synergy, for instance. He's not very efficient. He's doing this on volume, and I just thought it was necessary to explain a little bit of why he's so ranked so low. And I got just destroyed by all the Russ fans yeah. Yeah. Um, who were upset. And I get it. The title was probably not aptly titled, although it was a series of three parts. So I thought the title's going to say no matter what, but. Uh, I ended up, you know, half of it is probably showing what he doesn't do well. <laughs> and uh, they were very <laughs> upset. And uh, and it drives me crazy. It's very hard for me to watch him because he is breathtaking in one moment and then just like a dumpster fire in the next. Yeah, I, I, I think it's hard when you have this conversation because people will – it's hard to have the conversation without putting down the other guy. And – I'm a Kawhi guy, so when you make the argument for one player, and it, it look, I could be a Russ guy or a James Harden dude, it's hard to make the argument without trashing the other guy. And I, I think it's hard, you know, I would tell you, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I would say that triple doubles, the way the league is played now, are more meaningful, or, or excuse me, are easier to get than they were 10, 15 years ago. And so I think it diminishes a little bit of what he's doing. And I'm not saying it's not absolutely incredible and the passion that he plays with on the floor. I would just tell you that he's not most guys when they take possessions off, it usually comes on defense. And I don't think you can play as effective as Kawhi Leonard has played this year and take possessions off. Cause people say that to me all the time. Oh, look at, look, look at what, what Russell Westbrook is doing. He's relentless out there. Well, you're telling me Kawhi's not relentless? He's getting stops on defense, and he's coming down. He's become one of the elite scorers in the league. Like I, I look at him as the best two-way player right now in the NBA based off of the regular season. Um, all that said, and I know we're supposed to be talking about the series, <laughs> to me, it, it comes down to one thing. And I know when you're analyzing the tape, I don't know if you saw this as well, but every time Oklahoma City was switching on, on James Harden, it looked like it was Cantor out on an island with him. Uh, Stephen Adams, like those dudes can't do anything. And to me, the strategy can't be let James Harden get his. We're going to limit everyone else. Like that's just not going to happen in that offense with Mike D'Antoni there. There's too much ball movement. And even if you want Harden to beat you, he can beat you. And that's that's the problem. I I think Oklahoma City really needs to go back to the drawing board and try to figure out how to come up with some stops, because I think they're. They're outmatched to begin with. I think Houston's just a better basketball team uh, mm-hmm. in general, and that, that has nothing to do with the Russ or the Harden uh, argument. I just think – I think we'd all agree Houston's a better basketball team, so you need things to go in your favor if you're the Thunder, and you need Russ obviously to, to play out of his mind. But you can't 
on the defensive side, you, you just can't allow James Harden to run rough shop like he did in game one. Right. And, and Russ can't, he simply can't go six for 23 from the field, three for 11 yeah. from three point. He can't take 11 three pointers. I mean, that's the problem. The big <laughs> it's a problem. great call. <laughs> and, and he comes down because, you know, he shot a little bit better and he was better like toward the end of the season on the three pointers. But, uh, you know, it's those no pass dribble into a three when the defense is set threes that really, that really drive, like at least in the, in the, in the, in the fast break situation, like maybe you get offensive rebound, a long miss or something, but uh, it's just the, the decisions he makes sometimes with those kind of stuff that really makes you wonder what's going on there. But you're right. Houston is better. They are going to win the series. They're going to win it in five or, you know, I, I don't know if they get to six, but whatever. And, and so it's almost not fair to judge Russ on, on this because it doesn't match up well. That said, this, is, this team is perfectly built for him. It's perfectly built yeah. for him to get triple doubles. I mean, like, everyone is bought in. They're all helping him do it, right? Like, you know, they're on record. Like, they're trying to help get him a couple extra rebounds here and there, all that stuff. Um, and, and no one has an ego enough to be like, I'm going to shoot more. Um, and so that's what we're getting. But it's not necessarily a recipe for like, you know, winning in the playoffs. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And I think there's a reason why the people who like Harden or like Kawhi for MVP would point to the things that you just mentioned. And a team success, and I get it, it, it means something for every like, – that's such a huge part, at least for me, on the MVP. And to go with 47 wins on the season, like, that's just, I don't know, man. Like, I, I hate to have this argument, and I don't want to have this argument, but it's just team wins mean something. And I think if you take Harden off his team, they take a hit. If you take Russ off their team, they take a hit. I think it's a flawed argument when you start saying, well, this team would be so much worse. It's like, whatever, man. It doesn't matter. Like, you got to go off of what they're dealing with. It's it's equal playing field for everyone in the sense of we're all in the league, we're all playing. Some guys have better basketball teams. Get over it. Let's see what we can do. And and Russ, uh, yeah, I, I I'm still just a Kawhi guy. I I look at total package, offense, defense, intensity, level of play, and team wins. And to me, I, it's clear to me that oh, yeah. that he should be MVP. I mean, I, but the year before Kawhi was the uh, NBA, NBA Finals MVP before they won that year. I was already, like, I'll find the tweets where I was saying, this guy's going to score 25 a game. And I got roasted. You wouldn't believe what people said about me and try to question everything about me. And I could see it. You can see that he was, A, he was going to work as hard as he could at it, but B, he had, like, that Dr. J feel to him as he moved on the court that I thought this is only a matter of time. So, you know, I'm definitely in the Kawhi Leonard camp, too. And every time that I kind of feel, you know what, he's not really that, 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 that score that everyone's talking about. But, you know, know what every time I feel that way he goes out there and gets another 30 on someone in their face through the legs ISO whatever you want he scores any way you want him to do it and uh and he's you know he's, he's convinced me it's the most unassuming 26 points a night that you're <laughs> going to get from a player in the league right. and that's what it is it, can you imagine if he played in Los Angeles Boston New York Chicago any of these other markets where and I don't mean this in a disparaging way but he had a little bit more of a personality can you imagine right. if he was a boisterous player in really any market? Everyone would be gravitating towards this dude. But the fact that he is as quiet as you can, he's a little unassuming, and he's he's a quiet killer out there. I, I, that's why I love him. I, I, I couldn't say enough good things about what he's done as a pro. 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great story. It's a really also inspiring. If you're working with young kids in basketball, you know, you can point to that guy as a, as a guy who, you know, look, that, look what he did on the hard work and all those things, which is great. I mean, I kind of got in this argument with, uh, I don't really want to get into this one, but like, you know, Steph Curry versus like LeBron. If I'm coaching a kid who's, you know, he probably isn't going to be 6'9", 260 and faster than anybody in the league. Yeah. But you could look at Steph Curry and say, well, look, he's not like appreciably bigger or stronger or faster faster than most people like who have some talent um you know that that to me would be like more people would gravitate towards him and that said there's so much hate for curry that it's it's, it's like overwhelming i kind of want i kind of fall into that camp though <laughs> i Uh-oh. think part of the you know what it is for me and i don't know if you feel this way but i i went from being a huge curry fan for all the reasons that you just said guy that's kind of relentless great shooter I would say the last two years, maybe three, some of the antics on the floor started to bother me. A little bit of the showboating. You know, last year watching the finals, I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope LeBron James just slaps that mouthpiece out of his mouth. Um, you know, the the launch the three, not look for it to go in, or you already start running back. <laughs> like, there's a level of respect that I think you should have for your opponent. and I, And to me, that's the one thing that's bothered me about what the Warriors as a whole have done these last couple of years. They're really, really good. They're the best team in the league. I think they should win the finals this year. They're going to win the finals this year. Um, but there's that sense of arrogance that, to me, I just can't jump on. And I live in San Francisco, man, so I see Warriors gear everywhere that I turn. Um, maybe it's just me being like a jaded Knicks fan and just being upset that my team can't do anything. Um, so that's maybe part of it. It's just like a jealousy thing. All right. Fair enough. Cause like, you know, we could point to Harden doing this during the pod and you know, uh, there's a lot Russ does stuff. I mean, they all seem to have some celebratory bravado, I suppose, but, uh, I don't know. I just look at a guy who, uh, you know, it's just skill. It is supreme skill that he has done. And that's, you know, on a level we've never seen before, certainly from the shooting standpoint. So, um, I, you know, I guess sometimes you get to you get to celebrate that. You but get to do that, I, I and, and not to say, and, and people are probably listening to your podcast right now, going, "Yeah, you wish you could shoot like that because you'd be doing the same thing." You're probably right. Well, <laughs> what, what I true. wish, because <laughs> I was a good three point shooter, but I would that you could not shoot off a dribble a three, and I that's what I wish I was able to do or allowed to do. Excuse me. Um, you know, without getting benched. That would have been a, a revelation. And, you know, who knows what happened. Now, by, the way, by the way, 10 years from now, we're going to have, you know, more than one Steph Curry in the league. You know, these 10-year-olds who are going to be 20 in 10 years, they're going to be growing up that way. And I'm convinced we're going to find a few more of those guys that are going to do it. I don't know if they're going to do it any better than, than Steph, but they're going to do it. And it's going to be crazy. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and, you know, you talk about being able to shoot threes off the dribble. I, I'll tell you what, man, as a guy that's 5'8", like a buck 50, I, I would just wish. You remember that song, Ski Low? That I, I wish that he used to sing. Like, I wish it was a little bit taller. I wish yeah, it, yeah. I was a baller. I I was like, a baller. That's, yeah. that's kind of like my, my theme song. Like, he's 6'3". And like we're talking about him as like not a big dude, obviously for NBA standards, man. I I'll take six feet. I I, I right. would have been cool with that. You you could take the shooting off the dribble aspect. Just give me a couple more inches there, man. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, well, well. Let's move on to the uh, Pacers and Cavaliers uh, series then, because we we touched upon it for a second. Um, you know, I, I want to throw this out there. You know, they're not the Pacers are not going to win. They're down 0-2 already. Uh, yep. But they've been on the doorstep a couple times now. Certainly in game one. And all I can think about is that you have to look at this in the prism of, okay, if they're going to struggle like this against the Pacers, exactly. then what is going to happen when they have to play the, the, the Wizards? And now I kind of just coalesce in my head. They tanked. 
they looked at the Wizards being in the fourth spot and realized we don't want to guard play them in the second round. So they tend to get the second seed. Like that, I don't even know if anyone had said that out loud, but that must have been exactly what they were doing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think you start playing that game from an Indiana perspective. Once they lost Game One, they weren't winning this series. I mean, that just wasn't going to happen. I think there was a legit argument, um, not a strong one, but there was an argument that could be made for Indiana before the series started. If you looked at it objectively without LeBron James colored glasses on. All that said, just from a defensive standpoint, I'm tired of hearing people say, flip the switch, and they're going to be able to do it. That's not the recipe for success in the NBA postseason, and I get it. I I would be – I am like the, as I said before, the Corey Maggette, the Karan Butler, the Antoine Walkers, the Will Purdue, the Rex Chapmans of the world who I work with at at TuneIn and say I can point to everything that they do that I can't stand – on defense or some of the issues that they've had uh, in terms of continuity with some of the injuries at the end of the day, there's one guy and it's a testament to how good he is. He is probably the second best player I've ever seen play in my entire life. And that's LeBron James. And he's that good. And I think that's why there's the belief that this team can still overcome some of those defensive uh, deficiencies that they have. But it is a tall task. At some point, just having the guy on your team is is not going to be enough. And I don't know if it's this year, but at some point it will catch up with them. I agree. And and, and that, that's going to happen. Now, let me ask you this, because I kind of took – I got a – you know, actually, it, it kind of went viral, and I got both positive and a lot of negative but, uh, with a tweet about um, – you know, is LeBron James going to get as much shit as Curry does for supposedly not guarding his position because he, he is not guarding Paul George? Paul George, yeah. And Paul George yeah. is lighting them up. And yeah. whenever he does happen to be on him, like he scores on, on LeBron. And um, But I, I think it's also more of a thing where I just want to see it. I want to see both them go back and forth at each other as a, uh, as a fan, I guess, of, of, you know, of, a, of that. So what do you make of that? I mean, what does that say with he isn't even willing to guard their, his position? I think there's a legit criticism because you want to be fair about it, right? And you're right. It's an argument that I use for Curry all the time. That's sort of against Curry. And of course we want to see it. I mean, pre-injury for Paul George, I mean, can you imagine what, what LeBron and, and George were supposed to be going head-to-head and, and those two guys and the opportunity to see both of those players match up against each other? I mean, that is – that's must-see television, the fact that George has been able to to really thrive most of this season. And what we're seeing right now through these first two games, he's had some really good moments on the floor. It's – yeah, you're I, – I don't know. I, it's not defendable. It's really not. I mean you want to see – for a guy that – you can't just say they can win despite some of their issues because they have LeBron James and then not criticize just – just to be fair, and then not criticize LeBron for not basically keeping in check Paul George and not even not even getting him on the floor. Right. So to me, I, I I think there is something to that. Now, all that said, I, from a fan perspective, like that's what I want to see on the floor. I want to see those two guys go back and forth. I want to see them maybe talk a little trash. I don't want to see anyone blowing in anyone's ear. I just want to see good, hard-nosed basketball between two of the best players in, in the league. I agree. I agree. And it's, so it's a little frustrating. So it's frustrating, A, because the Cavaliers have had substantial leads in these games, and they cannot hold them because their defense is not good. They cannot put their foot on the, anyone's neck and finish it. So uh, another reason why it's like the, 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 it only gets harder from here. And it, I guess it feels like, to me, the Cavs are simply trying to survive. Like, whatever it takes. Like, we just need to somehow, it doesn't matter how uglier it is, 
We just somehow have to get a win and get on the next one, and that's going to be how it is. And I suppose, you know, that again, that could work, but um, I just I don't think that anybody who'd want to put any money down on this thing could really feel comfortable about the Cavs getting you know out of the out of the East. Let's just say this: best case scenario, Nick, they advance and they win the conference finals. How the hell are they supposed to go and be Golden State? Right. I mean, you can't. You're you're, you're struggling getting stops against Indiana. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get stops against the most prolific offense in the league. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And I, I've gotten into this argument before. I know Golden State. Golden State's a better team this year than they were last year. I had someone argue about the regular season wins. That's like a garbage argument in my mind. Th- this is a better basketball team. You don't take. I mean, two of the top what eight guys in in the world are on the same roster and then oh by the way there's clay thompson and and then there's a, a guy that's been playing and out of his mind uh who's sort of a glue guy and draymond green i mean this team is just better than they were and i don't i'm not a huge like oh the second unit is not as strong as it was a year ago yeah, okay yeah that's fine tell me what would you rather have kevin durant <laughs> or a stronger second unit i mean it's just like not even a, a conversation point i i just don't see how cleveland if they are able to survive the eastern conference how you can possibly beat a team that is playing as well as Golden State has. And I, I referenced their offense, Nick, but you know, I mean, their defense is pretty good too. It's not like they're just one-sided out there. Oh, I know. And I did a video on Draymond Green's defense alone just because it was so um, dominating. I mean, the guy covers yeah. everywhere and makes everybody else so much better better. I mean, that's the key. He makes Clay Thompson a great defender. He makes Iguodala a better defender than he already is. And by the way, he gets nine assists in the game. I mean, it's and 12 rebounds. It's insane. Like the guy, he, he you could argue that he might be the most important player in that team uh, for what he does. And I said this all the time on Twitter, like, okay, let's just say we're at the, uh, the NBA company picnic in the summer and we're going to pick up sides. <laughs> everyone's there. I'm going to take Draymond first. You can have anybody else you like because you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to pick LeBron, right? And then guess who I pick? KD. So now i got KD and and Draymond on my team. I don't care who you pick up after that. I think we're going to run the court. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think there's something to that. And this is an argument, and it sounds like you're a Curry guy, but I used to say this about about him even last year. He's not even the leader on his own team. And I always pointed to Draymond as that guy. And – I think that matters too when when you start talking about that award and and what it means because the NBA doesn't set criteria for it so it's it's up to whoever you know whoever the individual voter where they put where they weight certain aspects of it mm-hmm. and to me leadership is a part of it and when you're not even the only like I I'm down on like the whole unanimous thing it's like come on man like Shaq He's got one MVP. He's the most dominant player of my generation, and he's got one. It's like, dude, what, what are people watching here? But to not even be the leader on your own team, because I think that's green, that's that's a small knock against him. Stud, absolute stud. I take him on my team in a heartbeat. I'm just saying if you want to go that route, that's something that I would bring up. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, you know, it's it's either way, it's it's a pleasure to watch them as they operate oh, as a whole. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't even want to. I don't even care at this point. He's not the whatever it is. But but either way, the argument has to be that Draymond is the heart and soul. He's the pulse. He is everything that for them. Um, and and that's what's so important. That's what makes them that that next level when they have to turn it up. And they when they go on those runs when they, and it's always usually the defense. Now it is. It's not like the, the Grizzlies because it's not physical like that. But it's just it's overwhelming with length. And you can't get a pass through, and then next thing you know, they're they're so fast down the court to the three point line, 
Um, it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's frightening almost. It's like, a, you know, an intensity that's hard to deal with. I, I wouldn't know what to do if I had to go up against him. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way, too. It's the evolution of how athletes are developing over, I would call it like generations, but maybe is overstating it. But, you know, back when I was growing up and I was watching Bruce Bowen play, like you thought about defensive players, Ben Wallace, for example, like dudes who could who could really play on that side of the floor. But in a lot of ways, you were almost one dimensional, like you were a defensive player and you weren't necessarily a strong offensive player or you weren't doing other things. Like that's the kind of scary thing about the Kawhi Leonard's, the Gobert's, the Draymond Green's of the world. They're not only dominant on defense, but look at what the other things that they're doing on the floor. It's just guys of what what NBA players are doing right now. I, I hope people step back, and I think guys that are a little bit older. Um, I hate to believe that I'm putting myself in that category because I'm 35. But even as a 35 year old, and I'm sure someone who's 45 and 55 might say the same thing. You look at what we're watching right now in the league compared to what it used to be. And guys are just re- – they're better. They are – the, the talent level and just the evolution of the game is, is truly remarkable. For sure. And, you know, the, the funny thing is people now say, well, it's a lot more of a, of a specialized game where you have guys who are – you know, like back in the day you had to do everything. But everything back then, it, the dribbling wasn't like it was now. And they just yeah. didn't, they didn't have the drills that we could practice. The shooting – now here's the thing about the shooting we talked about. I, have, I had um, – who did I have? I had uh, Mike Smith on the show, who's you know the Clippers uh, uh, color commentator. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, he played in the NBA. He was a shooter, and uh, we talked about it. Where you know all those guys that were shooters back then could have easily taken a step back and gotten behind that line and worked on it and been just as good as the people are now. But um, certainly, the off the dribble threes and all the things that they have now is it's just a whole level of skill that we just simply that did not exist. Not to the fault of anybody from back then, it just didn't exist. No one thought to do it. Um, and so, yeah, but, uh, it, it is, it is a, a crazy time that, and by the way, I wish I was a young coach now. I had probably had a vision of what this would be like, um, you know, as far as threes raining down and fast breaking and all these different things, but I didn't have anyone to model it for me. So I didn't have the guts to be like trying to invent that. Um, and, but if I was a young coach now, gosh, it'd be, someone's going to come along in the next few years and like take Dan Tony's thing and make it even more exciting. Yeah, it's just it's just how it ends up playing out. And and to your point about being specialized in the things that you see, I mean, that's the reason why I would say Steph Curry is the best shooter I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, that's yeah. just, you know, I would go back and, and Ray Allen will certainly come to mind. And I'm, I'm too young to to reference Jerry West. And I, of course, I saw Reggie. I would always say that the quickest release of any play. I mean, Mark Price is another guy that, that I remember watching. But Michael Redd, to me had the fastest release that I had, I had seen before. Um, certainly not a guy like Curry or even a Ray Allen, but, but Curry is just the dude is to say special. That's, that's an understatement in terms of his shooting ability. For sure. Well, speak, let's get onto that series really quickly for a few minutes because we have Portland, we have Golden State and you know what, this might be a sweep, but it might be the most fun four games we're going to have in the whole playoffs. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, I just, I really wish that, Portland had just a little bit more because they are they're poor man's Golden State if you think about it mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways and then to not I think the thing to me that was the most disappointing thing about game number one to essentially waste the performances that you got from uh, from Willard and CJ out there that is that's criminal because you you're not going to be able to get those that to consistently get you can get eighty points from those guys and 
you need to get 40 or so from from everyone else to, to hopefully win a game like that. And mm-hmm. in that first half, and I know CJ went off, and it's easy to point to to some of his numbers. And I haven't actually crunched all the numbers, but that bench, I mean, if I had it off the top of my head, they're probably what they hit four shots. They're bench players. Yeah. I mean, the guys. I, I don't know if it was much more than that. I, that's just that's not enough. You can't expect to win against the team that you and I have been calling the best team in the league, and with that type of production. Right, um, they got three baskets from the from the uh, the non-starters. But remember, they don't have Nurkic. Out Nurkic, there. yep, yeah, and, and um, that's a huge. And he's not supposed to play, obviously, in 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 game number two, which is a little unfortunate. I don't think he's playing. At least that was the last check right. um, as we're doing this podcast. So I don't think he's going to be out there. And you're right. I mean, I think that's why there was some swag from Blazers fans heading into this series. They're, they're a team that's probably underachieved more than anyone else in the league, but that trade was the difference maker for them, and it's provided a huge spark for for them where they were playing some good basketball. I mean, the fact that they were sitting at 500 and are an eight seed, based off of what we saw a year ago, that, that wasn't supposed to happen for them. And I think that's why, to me, the Blazers are are one of those teams, as I look to next year, because of your kitsch out there, I, I – I think they could be dangerous. They're not an eight seed at that point. They're probably, uh, you know, more like potentially even a five seed. I think. Yeah, no, they, they have room to grow, and I, I suspect that Neil O'Shea is going to be able to do something. He's so good at his moves as they are anyway that he'll find another diamond in the rough there and figure it out uh, and improve, and that without question. Or, or you know, maybe they do something really drastic here and trade, you know, one of their, you know, either CJ or Dame. Uh, which you know isn't it might not be the worst thing of all time, but uh, certainly uh, something to think about because you never know what you can get. And certainly the market would be huge. Yeah. I've loved watching CJ grow into what he's been doing, and he was he's, he was playing some really good defense uh, in game one. He really was. It's not his you know his reputation, but uh, I was really impressed with that. And then guess what? He's lighting him up for twenty seven in the first half and forty one for the game. I mean, he's a bad man. He really is. Yeah. Look, if if the Blazers would consider making a drastic change like that, then I think that conversation about the the Clippers, um, if they lose the series or even if they win, because they're not going to get much further than 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 the first round or even the second round. To me, you really got to blow that up. I mean, the Blazers have a younger core. If they if there's any conversations about that, then the conversations have to be about the Clippers making some drastic changes. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, they have guys who are unrestricted free agents and that might not yeah. even be a blow up. It might just be like a just a little slow out. implosion or whatever that is where they just, just they just walk away. Um, it, Doc included. We'll see. Um, it might be it'll be an interesting shakeup for them. We'll see how this goes. But uh, it, it might be less drastic. If they can at least get out of the first round. But you never know what will happen in that first round. And that could be it could, it could cause a lot of stuff. So. Well, listen, Mike, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And, and yeah. really, this was a great conversation. I mean, definitely uh, a treat for the listeners to, to get into that depth that we did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Once again, really flattered that you even asked me to uh, to pop on with you. And hopefully we'll be able to do this again before the you know, the postseason for the NBA is like half the year. So I'm yeah, sure right. we can do this again down the road. <laughs> hey, for sure. I mean, listen, maybe we'll even do it in person if I'm ever up there, uh, you know, hanging out in the, in the Bay Area. So we'll have to yeah, figure that absolutely. out. Yeah, absolutely. That'd but, be great. Uh, Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on. Don't forget, you can find him over uh, on the Pac-12 Network and the Give Me a Sense podcast, as well as the TuneIn app, uh, where he's uh, doing all sorts of NBA stuff. So, fantastic stuff, Mike. Thanks for coming on. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Mike? I'm always in, man. <laughs>